Welcome to Marketing Futures, a series of the C-Suite podcast that we're producing in partnership with SAP. In this episode, we'll be getting to the heart of today's retail trends and discovering the shopping experiences of the future. For the basis of our discussion, we'll be referencing two reports that eConsultancy, the leading thought leadership publisher, has produced for SAP, the Retail Trends Playbook and Retail Experiences of the Future. My name is Graham Barrett, I think it's time to introduce today's panel, who will discuss the issues raised in these publications. I'm joined by Jim Clark, Commercial Research Director at eConsultancy, Michaela Coco, Global Customer Experience and Innovation Manager, Nestle Nespresso, Anand Narang, VP Marketing and Customer Experience, Batter India, and Sunny Nearly, Global Solution Director, Consumer Products at SAP. Jim, I'd love to come to you first. You and your team have put together these publications. They contain a wealth of insight, trends, and predictions. Could you just give us a brief outline of these uh, reports and maybe some of your motivation behind writing them? Well, you mentioned two reports. One's just uh, launching now, The Future of Retail, and that one in particular was based on nine industry thought leaders. Of, of, and of course, Anand was one, so we're delighted I could actually put a, a face to the name today on this call. And other brand speakers included the likes of Asda, Alibaba, it's good ones to have on, Boots, Batter and Curries. So the idea is it gives us an opportunity with this research to really gain a consensus of what's best practice and importantly how this can be translated into actions for retailers considering their 2022 e-commerce strategies so really just it's sort of looking at what retailers think works what's worked for them particularly over the holiday shopping season and you know the trends that are on the horizon that will really give retailers the opportunity to shift the needle on sales um so i mean we call the first one a playbook you could call both must have toolkits in a way Uh, in the most recent report as readers will no doubt discover we organize things into you know very structured easy to consume ways so five key trends that retailers really need to know and then there's four pillars of best practice that they should have in mind as they attack 2022 Sonny, let me come to you next. Uh, you've read these two reports. What are some of your takeaways from them? And how does that impact the way brands need to navigate the current retail landscape? Uh, yeah, thanks, guys, so much for having me. Listen, I, I love the reports. And, and you know, throughout the reports, there was a the theme of consumer data and how that's just got to it's got to be the foundation for everything we're doing in terms of you know increased consumer engagement in this industry. And I think this is a long-term trend. I mean, I've been in uh, FMCG for years. And when I look back to, back at the explosion of digital media 10 years ago, I was managing Diet Coke at the time in North America. I remember going into the merchant for one of our biggest customers, CVS, this pharmacy chain at their headquarters. And the merchant knew more about Diet Coke consumers than I did because he had a retail database of 75 million consumers. To me, that illustrates the data deficit that FMCG firms face. You know, you've got retailers have these massive databases of their, of their shoppers. And then you've got the media and ecosystem that has just exponentially more data than we do because of all the digital inputs they've got. So there's this data deficit. Now, brand managers, it hasn't affected them. They haven't really cared that much and they might not care now but that data deficit is becoming an engagement deficit. And I think it's, it's, it's critical that data is driving what, what marketers do moving forward. I think, I think there's another, another point in the studies that I was reading. I saw another um, recent uh, report from 
Boston Consulting Group on digital transformation about how when you have consumer target information using identified consumers, it can drive a 40% increase in your spend efficiency for digital. I think that's the type of data, that's the type of impact that brand managers just can't walk away from. The media landscape becomes more and more cluttered. The MarTech uh, landscape is wildly uh, varied and cluttered with 8,000 different solutions out there. I think brand managers are going to need a simple solution for solving those two different deficit problems, the data deficit and the engagement deficit, by bringing their data foundation together with capabilities that can drive omni-channel personalization. That's kind of my summary of it, but I love the, love the reports and uh, you know, look forward to leveraging them. Yeah, some really interesting points there. And the the accelerated shift to e-commerce over the last couple of years, and you just mentioned it, the essential role that Omnichannel plays in their brand strategy is really crucial to these two reports. Anand, if I could come to you now, how has Bata evolved its Omnichannel offering? So, you know, Bata's journey over, I would say, has in our journey towards Omnichannel, it has transitioned from being single channel to then multi-channel and today Omnichannel. Uh, every two, three years, it's a moving goalpost for us. We think that we are reaching to our omni-channel and then, you know, a few things, a new experience comes in, you know. And then we say, okay, we have to start a little bit from scratch. So we are a footwear and accessories retailer uh, across uh, 70 markets. We have about more than 5,000 stores across uh, these markets. And we sell, uh, you know, the shoes uh, for the whole family. That includes sneakers, formals, uh, fashion, and, you know, the whole variety. So in India, we have about more than 1,500 stores. That includes uh, barter stores. And then uh, over the last uh, 90 years that we have been present, the last five, six years have been very exciting in terms of transitioning towards Omnichannel. So we used to be exclusive business outlet stores, and that's how the journey actually started. And about four to five years back, we launched our own B2C portal, uh, which was Barter.in. The products would be slightly different uh, on both channels uh, because sometimes they would be markdowns and sale on stores and, you know, online, you know, so they would be separate inventories for different ones. And then about three to four years back, we started selling on marketplaces like Flipkart and Amazon in India uh, across there, you know. What we saw was that while we were started selling our products in different channels, each channel would actually have slightly different audiences to cater to. And some of the audiences would be common. And, you know, sometimes the price variation would be there, you know. So, so that was one challenge that we saw. Also, the customer experience varied uh, that, you know, if you would buy actually online, you would be actually asked to return it online and not probably drop to a nearest part of store, you know, which was actually one of our strengths. So what we started doing was, you know, we started connecting inventory across all these channels. So today, having done about five years of, uh, I would say, multi-channel to omni-channel journey, we started giving one inventory view across all stores and marketplaces. So the same product can now be seen across all. The pricing is actually consistent across all channels. So, you know, the consumer doesn't need to actually look around and shop around and say, hey, you know, can I actually shop for the same product at a lower price in other channels? So the pricing is very consistent across there. What we also started doing was actually helping consumers because, you know, the journeys actually became omni-channel. So while from the brand's perspective, we wanted to have presence across channels, you know, during the pandemic, consumers were stuck at home. So what could we actually do, you know? Uh, so, so things like, you know, one of the key things in a, in a shoe trial is actually knowing your shoe size, you know? So we created an experience which was actually scan your feet to know your shoe size. So consumers could just point their camera at their shoes. It's, it's a link actually available on our website. Uh, the same link is actually available on our social portals also. It would ease seamlessly, you know, tell them their size. So when they're actually on the site, they could actually place an order. 
this actually lowered the cost of actually servicing the consumer because we left the return percentage, you know, which is very common in the online business, that actually dropped by five to six percentage points across there. Uh, also, what we started doing was uh, because during pandemic, consumers were actually looking at touchless experiences or contactless. So we started giving the same information by embedding the QR codes during their journey. So when you are in a retail store, you want to actually know what are the latest coupons that can actually be applied, what are the gift vouchers you have. So we started putting QR codes, they could just scan it and you know the information would be returned to them over a WhatsApp message. They could actually log in and actually check out their points across there. Uh, another thing that we actually did was to actually help support the staff drive conversion. We actually launched home delivery service. So while we had Barter.in and exclusive business stores, but we also launched home delivery, which is basically the connect connected inventory across multiple stores. You know? So if you walk into a store, the same shoe or size or color or design is not available. It can be placed as an order from another store and it can be home delivered across to you. So I think while we actually did some of these transitions from an omnichannel perspective, Another thing that we actually did was consumer wanted flexibility in payment options. Because some people had access to credit cards, some had debit cards, the younger audiences had wallets. So we started offering all these flexible payment options, whether you want to buy now and pay in three installments or pay upfront via cash or over credit card. You know, so all these things started coming in. So it has been a great journey for us in terms of how do we serve the customers and offer, let's say, you know, a consistent experience from an omnichannel perspective. Uh, Michaela. What about from an espresso point of view? How have you developed your omni-channel and what kind of health is it in today? Yeah, so at Nespresso, of course, we are on a journey, but I think uh, there are two main starting points you know, that were very important to start the, this journey. So first of all, we're talking about customers. So at the end of the day, the, the first thing you, you need to, to understand is what is the ideal experience that you want to deliver to your customers? regardless of the channel, you know, based on your brand, based on your promise. So once you identify that, you have already a big foundation and a big starting point, very important, that will drive you throughout the journey, will help you making decisions on what to do on each channel. And then, of course, you need to define a channel strategy. So for, as you might know, you know, for Nespresso, for example, boutiques are more like experiential point of sales. So we are able to deliver an experience that it's not possible maybe on other channels. Uh, we know, you know how much it's important, the human side of it. So uh, for sure, you need to define what is the objective of each channel, but also you need to be flexible in providing and letting customers do what they want on the channel that they wish. Because you, we have a, a customer base that it's very could be very, very different. You know, we have uh, younger customers, we have digital um, savvy customers, we have customers that have been with us forever, and maybe they like to go to the boutique every week. So you really need to personalize them the experience, not only based on the ideal experience that you want to deliver and the channel strategy, but also uh, based on the customers. And, and here is where data comes. But if you have a lot of data, but you don't have these two pillars that you set at the beginning, so the role of each channel and the ideal customer experience that you want to deliver, probably you will not be able to deliver a similar experience. So by putting all of these together, so data, uh, strategy, and vision that will guide you, we are able to deliver a similar experience on the different channels for, for the different customers. And of course, another key point that we, we, we care about is to maintain consistency. Because you know, customers switch from a channel to another even in, in within seconds. Uh, I could be in a store and at the same time being on the company website or on the app, you know, or also on other brands application. So 
you need to guarantee consistency because when customers see inconsistency, then they don't believe in the brand anymore. They don't become loyal. And so, so it's very important always to put the customer at the center and to keep your, your promise uh, within the journey and in all channels, you know, leveraging on this, on this data and on, on, on also the, the brand values and, and strategy as well. So this, is, this was, this was the, the starting point. We are on a, on, a, on a journey, of course, a very exciting one. And you know, we, we are delivering some great initiatives that are helping us in this omnichannel strategy. Sure. You mentioned your boutiques and, you know, I've seen them. They are beautifully designed in the very warm environment. So you mentioned how they kind of interact with the overall omni-channel experience. Are there kind of digital touch points within the stores where customers can interact? So, yeah, uh, you know, our boutiques are a key, key touch point and we, we built all our success in, in, in the retail. You know, there is the human experience that you cannot find on other channels. Uh, also, uh, our sales assistants are called coffee specialists. Why? Because really they are coffee experts. You know, they really tell you the stories about coffees, farmers. They really guide you through the coffee journey and the coffee experience. It's not only about selling capsules, you know. And yes, we are now creating some, some hybrid experience first on, on both ways. So we are trying to bring the human experience that you can find in the boutique on our online channels. And vice versa, we, if, you, if you enter Nespresso through the online channel, we try also to bring you to the boutique uh, in order to make you live this uh, human experience even more. So you can enter you know, Nespresso through both channels, uh, physical and, and online. And what we're trying to do is to combine these two channels. So for example, now if you, if you enter Nespresso through our website, uh, you would be able to experience a personalized video storytelling uh, so basically, the, there is a coffee specialist talking, and uh, as a customer, you can choose the topics you want to deep dive, and based on your choice, you will see different content. So the storytelling is personalized, and this coffee specialist will tell you what you want to hear, what you need to hear, depending on the type of customer you are. Maybe if you are a new customer, you need to hear some things. If you are not a new customer, what you've been loyal, you need to hear other things. So we personalize this, and also we put the, the, cast, the, the digital customer in touch with a coffee specialist in the boutique through video chats. So basically what you can do from home, you can kind of have a boutique experience from your sofa, you know, and you will actually be able to, to, to speak to a coffee specialist within the boutique environment. So not in the call center, because in the call center, you know, you don't have, you have this capability, but you don't have this boutique ambience. So why with, with these initiatives, we are trying really to, to combine the two channels and to bring one channel's benefits into the other one and, and vice versa. So it's it's very important. And for us, the, the, the coffee specialist figure, it's it's key to deliver this uh, extended experience to online online customers. And then, of course, you know, the way we communicate in, in, in the boutiques, we're trying to use it also in our digital channel. So it's a lot about storytelling, a lot about our values. It's not anymore just transactional. We need to, to, to bring added value and to engage with our customers also through different content than, than before. So that's, that's how we, we are trying to, to manage it. Jim, this is a really good time to bring you back into the conversation, actually, because in Retail Experiences of the Future, there's a lot about how brands are developing their stores, their physical stores. Nespresso is a brilliant example. Could you give us a, a few others from the report? You know, the reports are chocked full of innovative examples like that. I think one that one that resonated with me was Freshipo. That's established in China. Uh, it's credited with boosting the popularity of online grocery shopping in the region. I think 60% of sales are online, but it's, it's in-store that's uh, particularly... Uh, 
digital, this sort of that fidgetal promise. So it has a lot of things that you might expect that you would you know, normally get in your local weekly shop, but lots you wouldn't. So let's say you're in the fresh seafood section, they sell lobsters, you can scan the barcode, and then the app actually provides you with a rundown of where it came from, where it was sourced, even a digital certificate that was organically farmed. So, you know, these are things that are important to shoppers right now. But even better for me, because I don't know how the heck to cook a lobster, would be that it would recommend, do you want to have it cooked in your in-store restaurant? And when you actually go to the in-store restaurant, robots would then deliver the dishes, which I love. So, um, but of course, if you want to, if you're, if you're brave enough to cook said lobster at home, you'll then get recommendations of, hey, check out this bottle of wine in aisle five that would per- pair perfectly with the seafood so that's one and obviously you pay with facial recognition without actually having to get out your credit card no less live streaming is something that we talk a lot in both reports and the point we make is it's a collision between retail and entertainment and the commentators we spoke to talked about how this represents a significant move away from the more efficient shopping experiences that we might observe in the west uh, and certainly when it comes to live streaming and and live commerce china again is leading the way and our alibaba commentator david lloyd who we spoke to told us that that actually makes up 10 percent of all key e-commerce in their territory and given the size of alibaba that's a lot i'm sure phone numbers Uh, and it's perhaps unsurprising that we see increasingly retailers in the western markets move into this and that will be a focus in 2022 indeed check out the stats in the report that will give you a lot of a, a lot of insight but we the third and final example I want to draw on is Curry's shop life. And that's kind of in, you know, links on one from what I was saying just about China. It's a case study. It's part of its campaign. Yes, I am human tagline, which has been advertising. And, and through that, you can have a real one-to-one conversation with a shop assistant. You get to the site, up pops a window. You can actually connect with a real person. And, and you know, customer satisfaction has gone through the roof. And so much so that this was brought in as a sort of pandemic alternative to going to the stores when they were shuttered. And actually continue it post-pandemic as the world opens up. So, yeah, those are just a few of the examples, Graham, that, that we've covered off in those reports. Yeah, superb example. Sonny, I don't know if you want to, to come in there because uh, you've been researching some of your own examples, haven't you? Yeah, we've been working with a couple of different companies. I want to talk a little bit about Adidas. I mean, this is a, you know, a, a FMCG apparel footwear company that is, is really enhancing its experience, brand experience via mobile, which I, I think everyone's seeing. There's so much personalization possibility you know, when you go into the mobile space. Well, Adidas has this amazing you know, fitness app, this collection of apps actually called Runtastic for running, for training. It's an amazing community. About 182 million are uh, signed up for these accounts. And, you know, it's something that you can just, you can track a mind-boggling amount of data, right? So, you know, your times of your runs, calories burned, you know, your pace, all these different types of data points come together. Actually, it's over 200 different data points that they, they pull together. They need to obviously store and organize in a centralized way. And they're able to deliver just an amazingly personalized message to these consumers and guide them through from the freemium level to the to the subscriptions. It's been a fantastic revenue driver for them. And it's thanks to personalization, harnessing all that data, that they've been able to see things like a 200% subscription rate rise just in one month. So I think what we're seeing is the potential for personalization in channels like mobile are real assets when you're trying to drive greater consumer engagement and, and drive revenue at the end of the game. 
Yeah, and I think we're talking a lot about engagement here, aren't we, in terms of whether it's Adidas Runtastic, whether it's Nespresso stores, whether it's Freshipo, all these different things. Anand, let me come back to you because you've actually segmented your customers into three categories, haven't you? So could you tell us a little bit about this and how your strategies differ for each one? I think the amount of information that CPG brands have versus what retailers have, I think the retailers have, I would say, a slight advantage uh, because not only you are actually serving the customer, you also have a, a wealth of information, the first party data, and then you are actually, you know, driving loyalty programs across there. So what we saw was that, you know, as we were transitioning to omnichannel solutions for the customers, we saw that the penetration of multi-channel usage was actually less among certain key segments. And that's what actually got us to think that is it only one solution that would actually work across different channels? Uh, is it one size fits all? Or do we actually need to identify and recognize that there are different cohorts of consumers that actually exist? And therefore, can we actually create solutions which are actually optimized for each of these segments? So when we started researching, we actually described them very simply into three cohorts. One was actually digital natives. And these are basically, you know, uh, younger target audiences, typically 20, 25 year olds. Uh, they are familiar with online shopping. They use social media extensively. They discover trends over, let's say, Instagram or, you know, Snapchat. Uh, and they are actually very familiar with online transactions. The second audience was digital adopters. They have limited, uh, I would say, online experience, slightly people in their 40s or 50s, or I would say even early 60s, you know, across there. And they would need some recommendations. They have, of course, all the digital instruments to shop online, but they have not done it. You know, sometimes it's the first hand-holding is required. And then on the other extreme, we have digital novices. Typically, you know, my mom would fall in that uh, bracket, you know. She's 70 years old plus, has never shopped, doesn't have a credit card, relies more on cash economy. Uh, trust the store managers. They would actually advise and they would actually prefer you speak to a store manager before taking a decision. So what we realized was that the digital natives were actually the younger audience. We actually need to have our presence actually rolled up on uh, Butter.in, which is our D2C website, as well as marketplaces like Amazon and Flipkart. And these are the consumers, you know, the expectations are actually, you know, they shop 24-7, uh, they want the full range. And, you know, the expectation is that you drop the product at my home and you pick it up from my home. You know, I don't want to visit a store, you know, I think that's what the mindset is, you know. Uh, compared to, you know, let's say a digital adopter who would actually want to speak to a store manager. And that's what, you know, was mentioned that they would actually like to do a live chat. You know, and that's where we created a solution, which was conversational commerce uh, on WhatsApp. It's called Barter Chat Shop. The consumer actually typically uh, uploads their location on a WhatsApp. They find the three nearest stores that actually get populated. They can start chatting with a store manager. And then they say, okay, you know, I need actually, uh, let's say, a pair of sandals or, you know, sneakers. Uh, do you have this in size 8? The store manager can actually do a live chat from the store. They can actually talk about some product, literally demonstrating over a video call. And this whole solution was actually, you know, a grant put up in about eight weeks during COVID when the wave one actually hit in March. Uh, so by May, we had the minimum value proposition and we launched it across there. And then, you know, of course, we improved it and scaled it up in about uh, 70 plus cities, you know. Uh, so that's what uh, these consumers actually used along with the support of the local uh, store manager. And then they would actually get the products delivered hyper-locally within two hours. And they could actually use cash or, you know, payment on link. For the digital novice, uh, what we did, they were reluctant to come out. There were kids stuck at home during the pandemic or even homemakers. So we launched something which was called as Bata Store on Wheels. Now, this is like a digital kiosk. So we have a physical kiosk there, which actually displays like a limited range. Out of the 5,000 styles that we actually retail, 
about 200 styles would be displayed in this uh, small kiosk that would actually pop up uh, in their condominiums. But along with that, you know, the store managers or the staff would be equipped with, let's say, digital tablets. So it became like, okay, if you don't like something from this limited collection, you can place an order and we'll hyper-locally deliver it within the same day or next day, you know, across here. What we saw was that pre-pandemic, you know, our digital sales contribution would be about 3 to 4% out of our overall uh, retail sales. But post-pandemic, it's actually reached about 5x, so it's now 15, 16%, you know, of the overall sales. So we saw this huge jump in numbers because we recognized that it's not one solution that fits all. We require basically tailor different solutions for different uh, audiences across the yeah, that's fascinating. You know, the lengths that brands are going to, the innovation that they're trying to introduce to to attract these different segmented customers, as you call them. Michaela, let's come back to you. Aside from your boutiques, what other ways do you use to engage with your customers? What we did in Espresso, first of all, it was trying to, to understand our customers, you know, again, going beyond demographics and, you know, the, the basic data that you might have. We, we both tried to understand what are the most important moments of their journey with Nespresso? Because we understood that we had to focus on those moments. You know, you, you need to deliver for sure great experience every day, but uh, the key is to focus on those peaks, those those high hypes. You know, for for, for the customers to really be uh, to to really be engaged with the brand and to really be open. You know, to to receive our communication, to to interact with us. So. First step was to understand, okay, what are the key moments of the, their journey with Nespresso? And then uh, we had to understand who are these people. So we, we work on archetypes. Uh, we try to understand how these people, what these people are driven by in their life, uh, what are their values, what they care about. That's in general. And then once we understood the general picture, then of course we translated it into, into, into Nespresso. So we, we understood what we had to do for the different archetypes in those important moments of, of the journey. And, you know, we, we engage with them in, in different ways. For example, we made a big step in, in, term of, in terms of personalization. So it's not, you know, some years ago, you know, it was enough to send you an email, uh, you know, using your name. <laughs> and there was the basics, you know, personalization, of course. We made a step forward, and now the most important thing for our customers is to be guided through their coffee experience. So we have a you know a, quite a wide coffee range that uh, keeps evolving because we innovate a lot in terms of coffee and coffee development. We introduce new origins. We really do crazy things in terms of of coffee. But the, the thing is that customers might, might feel lost, so we might lose the power of our innovation uh, if we don't engage in a relevant way with our customers. So what we do is, for example, we personalize our communication based on coffee preferences, based on uh, their consumption occasions, based on the if they like, I don't know, black coffee or milk coffee. And this, I can tell you, can change drastically within the different markets that we have. You know, coffee habits are very different. So one of the key things that we do is try to be relevant in their coffee experience by guiding them through the coffee range understanding, first of all, because customers, they want to understand the coffee range and then exploration in order to keep finding their, their preferred taste and does their preferred coffee. When there is innovation coming in, guiding them through, through these innovations. So this is one, one, one thing that we do through, through our, for example, onboarding program based on emails, but not only because the same experience we replicate in the stores, in the boutiques. So if a new customer comes in, we want to understand, okay, what's your taste? In terms of coffee, what are your drivers? What are you looking for in your coffee experience? Based on that, we adapt the speech. When it comes to coffee specialists, it's more about 
training them on the behaviors they need to have and the flexibility they need to have instead of, you know, giving them a script that suits everyone. Because as Anna said, there's nothing that could suit everyone anymore. So both in your data and technologies and in your human interactions, you need to really be flexible and work on the behaviors rather than on the script. And how you do that, uh, if you cascade your vision, your CX vision, until your people in, in the boutiques, so you, you manage to cascade it, they will feel empowered and able to do that without having you know strict directions on what they need to say. So this is how we, we are trying to work on personalization and on targeting these archetypes in the key moments of the, of the journey. Yeah, Sunny, um, personalization is something that consumers expect and demand now, isn't it? Can you think of some examples when brands have really got this right, such as Nespresso? Yeah, and I love hearing uh, the examples and the, and the description that Michaela was giving. I mean, I think we're seeing some trends emerge, um, some key keys to success, because what we're working with Puma right now, another footwear and apparel brand, and doing a lot with their CRM omni-channel across Europe, about 27 different countries. So like Michaela said, a lot of different tastes, a lot of different consumer segments within these broad markets, broad geographic areas. What we're doing with Puma, I think, is pretty exciting because we're able to personalize all the way throughout the funnel, you know, from consumer acquisition through to frequency and loyalty. You know, on the consumer acquisition side, a lot of that's happening through the web channel. I mean, just just website visits. When you see a consumer come in who's new and unknown, provide them with with a, a small incentive to join the mailing list, to opt in, just by doing that small level of personalization. Puma has been able to see, uh, you know, their database increase by fifty percent. So an average, you know, subscription rate of about a thousand new consumers per week. That's coming up to about ten thousand per week. So pretty exciting, just at the front end of the funnel. But when you get further down to the funnel, and that's where you know, obviously, you're talking about much more data you have on consumers. They've been shopping, you've been tracking and and understanding much more detail about them. That's where you can really think about getting the message to the right person, the right message, and the right time. So targeting those consumers that are more engaged, targeting those consumers, you know, maybe ignoring some consumers safely that are that are obviously uh, low low involvement, you know, might buy once a year or less. Focus on those consumers that have purchase intent. When you think about the message, you know, just like Nespresso, I mean, Puma wants to think about providing uh, product recommendations that are relevant based on things that they know they've been purchasing or, or, or viewing before. And then also, right time, when you send your communication makes a huge difference. And some shoppers, you know, are up in their morning commute. They, that's when they like to do shopping. Others are late night shoppers, you know, send it at a very relevant time, you know, to communicate kind of on their terms. But I think for me, it was just really exciting to see Puma have the success, you know, both on the acquisition and then through to frequency and loyalty, all through the funnel. And I think the the real win is they've seen their their open rates, click-through rates increase by about 10%, which everyone knows that has a fantastic impact in terms of revenue engagement. Jim and Anand, let's just come back to the the consultancy reports. Anand, if I can start with you, you're as Jim said, you you, uh, you feature heavily in this report. You talk about embedded commerce. Could you just tell us what you meant by that? You don't want to disrupt the consumer journey. You want to make the customer journey as seamless as actually possible. From a retailer's perspective, you want to actually make the journey as frictionless as possible. I think so. Let's say you know there are 10, 12 steps across a consumer journey, right from discovery to purchase. And therefore, you know what we said was that. Wherever the consumer is, let them actually discover and have a consistent experience, you know, while engaging with the brand. So let's just imagine that there are a bunch of friends, you know, who are actually playing, uh, let's say, Xbox or PSP, you know. Uh, they have actually done uh, some level of gaming across there. So could there be a, uh, an ad that pops up from, let's say, KFC or McDonald's or Pizza Hut, you know, that 
are you guys hungry? You know, uh, we want to order something. Right there in their journey, there are brands that have opportunity to actually target them, reach out them. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, there are those kind of systems available. Let's be customer data platforms where you can recognize that, okay, these are the consumers who actually order something like this. They have a historical trend of this. And can I actually embed my shop, take my shop into, you know, where they are in their world? So that's one example, you know, that we were actually flirting with. If you take that example and bring it to the life of a retailer, and even, you know, as consumers, the shopping as a habit is very social. You know, when you actually go out to a mall, you know, you are either with your family or friends, uh, you know, across there. And, you know, therefore, it's very social across there. So, you know, during pandemic, what happened, you know, people were stuck at home, they were shopping one-to-one. And therefore, what do you do? You know, can you actually allow virtual co-browsing? You know, so when I'm actually seeing, let's say, a pair of footwear on Bata site uh, or an H&M or, you know, Zara, can I actually share that as a, over a WhatsApp with my friend? So similarly, you know, people actually co-dining. You're stuck at home, how do you do, you know? Can you actually have that multi-screen experience? And we know all that. Zooms and Teams of the world enable that, you know, how friends were actually stuck in different places. So therefore, you know, there was a sharing experience across there. If you actually fast forward it, there are these new network-based business models, which are there, what you call as also digital or platform business models, which allow you as a retailer or omnichannel retailer to connect into you know, a bunch of users or sites. You know? so, so let's say Amazon is a, uh, works on a network-based uh, uh, business model. Uh, so does Uber you know, across there. And when you take these and actually bring it to the life of a retailer, in our stores, for example, uh, we offer, let's say, uh, you can scan your feet and you can actually get a curated, customized install for your shoes. Now, if I give this kind of functionality uh, to, let's say, a patient who is actually visiting the doctor and who has a knee pain, now what does the doctor do? You know, They actually have the capability to actually scan this, and that's what we are thinking about. Scan you know, the patient's feet and actually place an order which actually comes to us. So I don't have that customer, you know, in my store, but that customer is actually there in a hospital or let's say in an online app, which is like, like let's say a pharmacy app. And the customers can either do it themselves or they can actually do at a hospital where a doctor is actually there to help them actually support that. So that's how the complementarities can actually come in. And you could actually look into embedding your shop, you know, or let's say what we call as embedded commerce, you know, where consumers are, you know, uh, at that particular point in their journey. So that's what we mean here by embedded commerce. Michaela, if I could just come back to you at this point, because um, I'd be really interested to know about sustainability. I was looking on the Nespresso site, sustainability, your green credentials are kind of front and central there. How important is that to you as a brand? And how do you communicate in a way that is credible and believable to your customers? Yeah, I would say that for sure, communicating around sustainability, it's very important. But the most important thing to do is actually do things, you know. So at Nespresso, we say doing is everything. Uh, basically, what we do is it's that we try to embed sustainability into every touch point under different forms. So we could go from, if we think about coffee production, for example, we care a lot about our farmers. We run a lot of projects to ensure their income is fair. We pay fair prices. We help the communities they live in. We, we have some pension funds. We help you know kids to go to school. But also when it comes to the materials that we use in our boutiques, for example, you can find counters made of, uh, made of coffee. Or uh, again, when we communicate around our coffee, we always want to stress about the origin of these coffees and how we are impacting the, the region. So sometimes we take regions when, where coffee is not produced anymore. And in order you know, to, to revitalize these regions and to make people be able to live out of coffee, we 
start with them with our agronomies, we start to grow coffee uh, again, you know, to bring some business to you. So for us, uh, it's more than just com- communicating. It's really trying to embed sustainability in, in every touch points. And since the beginning, when the customer joined Nespresso, we need to be able to, to be credible. Uh, because again, here, I want to stress the, the point around consistency that I mentioned before, especially for, for these topics, you really need to be consistent. You cannot claim you are a you know, sustainable company and then customers go on your touch points, whatever it is, uh, online, offline, and so on, and they don't see these, you know, reflected in, in everything that they interact with. So that's what we we try to do. We, we tackle, uh, you know, everything. For example, uh, we use recycled and recycling material for, for our capsules. You know, aluminum is infinitely recyclable and we build our capsules out of recycled aluminum. So that's, you know, just one thing. We have recycling programs, so we help customers to recycle their capsule in a, in a seamless way for example, in Switzerland, it's a, it's a best practice. As a customer, it's so seamless to recycle your capsules. Basically, you just put the capsules in a bag, you put it in, in your letterbox, and when the postman, postman comes, they take your capsules and they bring it to the recycling center. As easy as that. Of course, this is not possible in every country because, as you might know, there is you know some regulate regulations are, are different but this is really uh, a best practice to make sustainability effortless for, for the customer because the customer is you know they want to be sustainable in general but they want the company to make the biggest effort then they contribute a bit they want to contribute but again they put uh, all the effort on, on on the company and that's where you know a company needs to play a key role making customer join you in your sustainability mission yeah, I think that that's a great point. And I think consumers are really driving a lot of these things, aren't they? Whether it's personalization, which they now expect, whether it's uh, sustainability, which really is non-negotiable now for brands, isn't it? Yes. Jim, Sonny, let me just have a brief final word for, from you both about the reports. And what struck you the most? I mean, is it is it the pace of innovation uh, the, that we're talking about today? What struck you most, Jim? Well, I think that... Um... I mean, we do a lot of research into retail and, and generally the executives we interview or survey uh, are the most aware of the need to change and evolve to keep up in what is an incredibly competitive and evolving sector. And so it's very easy to get that behind. And I think one of the things that came out very strongly, at least in the interviews that we ran for, for the report and also in the first report, was the importance of connected commerce. Obviously, shopping's always been a social experience. And I think recent trends certainly have opened up consumers to the idea of sharing experiences across geographies and virtual worlds. And we do explore that in more detail in the report. And I think one of the ones that we draw out as a case study is Teo Bayo uh, being a great case in point. I mean, we talk about Meta. Meta is in the news quite a lot at the moment, especially with Facebook. Uh, and this is a great, very successful example of that, uh, a virtual world where you can personalize your avatar and then buy a virtual brand of goods online and socialize with all your friends. So I think the last couple of years have certainly opened up people and shoppers, particularly in the West, to the potential of this. It doesn't seem strange and, and weird and wonderful anymore. And the other thing I, link, I think links to a lot of what uh, has been discussed today, the importance of data, getting that 360-degree view of the customer to be able to create experiences wherever they are, whether it's online or offline. Certainly, we'll see shopping habits evolve. And we talk about that in the report as customers demand ever more 
personalised experiences. And, and of course, the role of the store will remain important, but obviously it's going to be more embedded into the customer journey to stay relevant. And obviously that's where, you know, data comes into play, the ability to get that unified customer journey to deliver automated experiences in some cases at scale. And I think one of the ones I liked, and I think we drew out as an example in the report was Nike's Rise concept stores in Asia. It's like a lifestyle hub. You can go in, you can socialize, get your shoes fixed, take your personalized. You can enlist in community events. You can see your running stats on the board, which is, is a sign to sort of note people that are in store that are logged into the running app. And uh, I think there's also interactive displays. I've not been there, unfortunately. I haven't been to Asia for some time, but RFID shoes, um, enable shoes you can put on the table and then virtually interact with the product there. So, yeah, I think that's a great example of the future and, and how shopping habits, or at least an indication of how shopping habits will continue to evolve. Sonny, we're just about out of time, to be honest, but if you could just give us one final word on the trends that you expect to see this year. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, look, we've had an incredible discussion here with a lot of very sophisticated brands. I think a lot of digital omni-channel maturity. I think this should be a little bit of a wake-up call to some of those categories you know, that aren't as data-rich, that aren't as digitally mature. There's an urgency to gather data and to close that kind of engagement gap. Let's face it, 2022, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, on the one hand, the pandemic coming to an end, you should see a lot of consumer activity. On the other hand, inflation is at a 40-year high in the United States. You know, energy costs, you really don't know where consumers are going to be going. I mean, we may have a bonanza of a year. We may see consumers trading down if their costs are, are, are that much more considerable. So we've got to be agile. We've got to be able to respond. I think on the front end, we've talked a lot about the way we can respond on the front end. Bringing the back end together, fulfillment is critical if you're going to be doing this type of business. So I think it's pretty exciting. I think, as I said at the beginning, uh, the MarTech landscape is really complicated. It's important to simplify that so you can simplify your ability to deliver. Um, and I think strategic partners are going to be key to that in the future. But um, again, I, I really appreciate the chance to be with you guys today. Yeah, no, thank you all very much. We are going to have to leave the conversation there, unfortunately. I know we could all talk and talk and talk today. But I just want to say a big thank you to my guests, to Jim, to Sonny, to Michaela and Anand. Thank you all so much. We've talked a lot about the e-consultancy reports today. If you'd like to download those reports, please visit sap.com forward slash omnichannel dash retail. And you can have a good read of, of the two reports we've discussed today. We always want to hear what you think. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The links for these can be found at the top of the page at csweekpodcast.com. You can also catch up with all our previous shows and follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via your favorite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do give us a positive rating. Finally, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website, or you can find me and the C-Suite podcast on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.